first, a quick word. This episode deals with emotional themes, including discussions around suicidal feelings and depression that may not be suitable for all listeners. I was so angry at myself because I wasn't getting better and I felt like that was on me. I was just like bottoming out. This is where real life magic comes in because there's like a moment of like, you've got to do something. I don't know why in this moment I thought it. I was like, I wonder if there's anybody else out there that's like bottoming out. What could I do? So I wrote, I started writing a website. The sentence was, if you're having a bad um, minute or moment or month or life, (laughs) message me and I'll send you a lovely letter. Email me. I'm Ian Wright. And from something else, this is Everyday People. In today's episode, I speak to Jodie Ann Bickley, a poet and a mum of two from Birmingham, who's sharing a powerful message of kindness with strangers from all over the world, one handwritten letter at a time. With bright pink hair and an infectious smile, Jodie reminds me of a superhero from a children's movie, but behind her radiant positivity is an amazing story of strength and determination. Jodie was at the top of her game touring Britain as a performance poet. I know you get lonely. I know you're battered and bruised and this world has thrown its fair share of storms towards you. I'm not sure how you've made it through, but trust me when I say I'm in absolute awe of you. When she was struck down by a mystery bug that sent her world into a tailspin, bedridden and battling chronic illness, she started One Million Lovely Letters, a kindness project that speaks loving words over people going through tough times. I found out what's inspired her to spend a decade writing handwritten love notes to people she's never met. So tell me about poetry and the the moment you fell in love with poetry. I tried, (laughs) I tried, Jodie, to to write poetry when I was younger, just, but it was all about trying to make words rhyme and I I didn't, I, I was nowhere near it. When... When did it happen for you? When did you think poetry, man? I like poetry. Uh, I think I first started doing it when I was in school. I like um, I won some prizes and stuff like in year six. Um, I've just I just really loved it. I was the best in the class at putting words together. I think at putting rhyming words together. Or did you whatever. read? Did you read a lot? Because I I didn't read a lot. Yeah. When I was younger, so putting words together, like how you say you you can put them together in 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 your writing, so. Do you need to read a lot to be able to understand the words so you can express them? No, I think you can talk a lot mm, and yeah, put words together. Yeah, I do like, that, yeah. <laughs> You can talk a lot and put the words together. I don't think that, um, like, some of the best, um, like, wordsmiths of, like, our now time, if you spoke to them, probably haven't read much wow. at all, but they've probably talked a lot. They probably know a lot about language, but they just haven't read everything mm. in the library. Um, I did. I, I read a lot when I was little. It was just something that we'd always done. Um, and I just fell in love with it then. And then I didn't do poetry for a really long time. I was a teenager and found found boys and mm. other stuff. But then when I got to about 17, I realised I could write about these boys. <laughs> I, could, <laughs> I could write about them. And then um, when I was uh, 20, 
1920. Um, there was a writer called Laura Dockrell, who I really loved um, on MySpace, mm. back in MySpace days. <laughs> um, and I messaged her like some poems. She was like, oh, there's a slam in London you should go to. I didn't have a clue what a slam was. A poetry slam where the country's best writers go back to back, live on stage until one is crowned the winner. Did you go down to go in the competition? Yeah, but I didn't know what poetry slam was. I thought that I just had to hand my book over. They'd look at it mm. and tell me if it was good. Mm. And then I'd hand it back. Then this guy's telling me I had to go on a stage <gasps> in front of like a full like room. Mm. So I'm standing there in front of all these people that have clearly been doing this for a really long time and just read my poems out. What was you like when you was up there when they said, OK, so Jodie, you're up. What, what, what's going through? Your... Oh, I just wet myself. Like, I was like, what, what, why do I have to do this? I could show you. I don't need to stand up here and do it. There's a video of it on, on the internet. And I look back on it and I'm just like, oh. Hello. 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 <laughs> Can you remember the, 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 the poems you read and was you confident in them? Did, I don't know. I'm just, I'm actually nervous thinking about you going it, on there. Honestly, like I was this very awkward teenager well yeah and i i rem like the the poem that won was one called funny girls don't get laid it's not supposed to be read, read out it's called funny girls don't get laid <laughs> oh. Oh. <laughs> on a level this whole thing funny thing was getting a bit lame it was all right to begin with but now it's affecting my game i'm surrounded by roses but for like one of the weeds i wouldn't mind it's just the girl's got needs. <laughs> All I want is a bit yeah. um, And I, in it, one of the lines was um, how much I loved Eamon Holmes, who, which has not aged well, really. The one for which my heart moans is the one and only Mr Eamon Holmes. <laughs> he is such a big, adorable, happy, yep. lovely boy. Jodie went on stage and shared her poems with an audience for the very first time and won. A panel of the country's top writers had seen something special. You know something, the only thing I can relate it to back with myself is that I remember I was playing a game against Swindon and like we were winning quite easily by, by the time I picked up a ball, like it must have been 30 yards out. And in a split second, you know when people say, yes, yeah, stuff just slowed down, something slowed down. And, and for a split second, I saw the goalpost really close and the goalkeeper just wasn't in the right place. I was thinking, wow. That, I, that that never happened before. Is is that my gift to see something like that? I don't know. So was, you see, when you wrote something and so people, when people reacted to it, do you think to yourself, my God, that just came from me? And and look how people are, are loving it. That's a gift. Yeah, I don't think like I'm very self-critical, so I don't think I've ever been able to let myself like say, oh, it's a gift. I'm I I wouldn't ever say that I'm talented even. So. Other people can. Like, a room of people yeah. can tell me that. Yeah. I'm this incredible, talented, whatever human being. But it's never, it's it, never it, something I've taken It's not away. something that will go in and you think like, never. right, yeah, I've made it, I'm the one. Oh, no. Never, ever. I'd never let anybody. It was official. Jodie was now a poet. A new voice in a growing spoken word scene. And with it, she discovered a community of writers who became like a second family. Jodie was living the dream and headed to Bestival to play a huge gig with friends. So Musa took me um, 
a guy called Ray Antrobus and mm-hmm. and Ed Sheeran. Yep, Ed Sheeran, who back then was just Ed, a regular guy struggling to make it as an artist. He took the three of us to Camp Festival. We were no, like obviously we were nobodies. He put us on stage with Scroobius Pip at Camp Festival, and we performed to um, a whole tent. So that was like a thousand people. Mm. Um, how, many, how many? How many like poems did you do? Did you like? Was it like? Someone would go on and you'd come on. Did you do two or three or I did, something? I did two, I think. I did two. What and it I like? think it was incredible. There's a picture that I've got um, someone took from behind me of me in front of the whole audience. And it felt like otherworldly. Like, what is going on? Could you see their faces from yeah. behind? So I saw that you see the front row, yeah, and then you see people at the back, so you tune into them, yes, and yes, that's what I did, and I loved it. I was terrified, and I think that's um, that's part of being like a performer stuff. There's a, a bit of you that is absolutely terrified, but that, that fuels the, it. And what about the energy? You know, when you go into something, you can feel the energy, yeah. What was what was the energy like in that room for you? It was like euphoric. Camp Festival is quite magical. Um, everybody's very happy. Mm-hmm. It's almost—it's like a family festival as well. So everyone's just on top form. Yes. So we went there to a thousand happy faces, Brilliant. loving what we did. Mm. Um, performances since that haven't always been a thousand <laughs> happy faces, um, but that one was perfect, and it was our first ever thing after that, and it was great. Within a year, Jody was back at festival performing in front of thousands. But this time, the high was short-lived. What should have been the highlight of Jodie's career marked the beginning of one of the darkest periods of her life. Just days after the festival, Jodie fell ill. Some marks had appeared on her legs, which she showed to a doctor. There was a couple of bites here, mm-hmm. um, and they looked like normal, normal bites, just mm-hmm. very normal bites. And then I told the doctor where we'd been. We'd been in the Isle of Wight. Mm-hmm. And he was just like, hmm. <laughs> and you could see like these mood change. Right. And then from there, I can't really remember much, except everything seemed very panicked. She'd caught encephalitis, a deadly brain flu, passed on by ticks that had bitten her on the legs. I was sat in the hospital and my mum started to, was looking at her phone because mm. she'd just looked up what they said I'd got and she went a funny colour. And then I think I passed out. I was pretty unconscious for about four days after wow. that. I was really, really poorly. Then in hospital, in the middle of the night, Jodie realised that she couldn't move. Panicked, she called for a nurse who came to her bedside. She was really rotund, tattooed, wonderful, like, (laughs) nurse. Um, And she just sat with me. And I was crying because I was like, I can't move my my right side. I don't know what's happening. Then when the doctors came down, they were just like, "Okay, this might have happened. We're not really sure what's happening. There was so much uncertainty about it all. At just 23, Jodie had had a stroke. She lost all feeling in her right side. She couldn't walk or even hold a pen to write. Was you feeling? Was you was you thinking the worst? Was you thinking when's this gonna end? Uh, a little bit. It felt like uh, it wasn't happening. It was just like, it was just kind of like part of this story that seemed like a soap opera, um, <laughs> because I'd just come from this really awesome, like, like 
performance I'd done Glastonbury and done all these um, festivals and then suddenly I was sat with my boyfriend at the time Mm. not being able to move over the next few months Jodie had to learn how to walk again and how to write she was on her way back to full health but less than four months after falling ill Jodie landed straight back in hospital this time with ME also known as chronic fatigue syndrome I couldn't do anything I couldn't move my head it was it was horrendous could you write no I couldn't do anything I was, um, not for that year, I was bedbound for a year. I couldn't do anything. I had to be carried, like, helped to the toilet and all sorts. What were you thinking? Uh, it was horrible. I wanted to die. I honestly just didn't want to be here anymore. You was in a bad place. Yeah, I was going to kill myself. Could I just started to be able to write and stuff. I just, I could write, but I was just, I couldn't really do anything else. I was just in bed all the time. And I was just like, nope, not doing it. I can't do it. So- not strong enough. So that place where you found yourself, I, I, I don't even know what to, I don't even know why I've started a question like that because I'm, I'm thinking myself, I, I'm, try, I'm putting myself in that position and I think, so where, where's the hope come from? Where, 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 so you've not done it, then what, what, what happens then? What happened? I was doing it. It was like the night of. Um, Did anybody have an inkling that you was feeling this way mentally? My mum knew like I was in a really bad place. Um, but nobody else. So people were being supportive, like, um, but I was just like, no. I was so angry at myself. Why? Because I, I wasn't getting better. And I felt like that was on me. I was just saying, I'm not strong enough. I'm not doing what, my, like, my body's not working properly. <laughs> I just, I just hated, I hated everything. I was severely depressed. Mm. Like, I was just like, bottoming out. But then, a blessing in disguise, an unexpected distraction from the pain. I can't, like, this is where real life magic comes mm. in because there was like a moment of like, You've got to, there's, there's something, you've got to do something. And there was a silly app on my phone um, and it was uh, it was a kid's app. My mum mm. had made me download all these silly apps to keep my brain working. Mm. And there was one where you put makeup on dolls. <laughs> Sounds ridiculous now, but it was, it was all that my mind could kind of deal with. It flashed up and it was like, you've got to get the girls ready for a big night. These dolls, put makeup on the dolls. <laughs> And I laughed and I was looking at my phone and I was just like, I wonder. I don't know why in this moment I thought it. I was like, I wonder if there's anybody else out there that's bottom, like bottoming me out mm. right now at this point. What could I do? So I started writing a website. I think I was in like this manic state. In that particular in that moment, moment, wow. I started WordPress. The sentence was, if you're having a bad um, minute or moment or month or life, (laughs) message me and I'll send you a lovely letter. Email me. Back in a moment. You may have heard of the podcast Juicy Scoop. Wondered what it is? Why aren't you listening? Well, I'm its host. Created it. Been doing it for seven years. I'm Heather McDonald of Juicy Scoop with Heather McDonald. Now, I could tell you why you should be listening to my show, but my listeners wanted to write the ad for me, and here are some of the things they said. Not your regular Juicy podcast. Catch up on all the juicy topics from Hollywood and pop culture to true crime and beyond. Heather McDonald's Juicy Scoop always has great guests, 
great laughs, and great gossip. It's a comedian's take on the hottest headlines. Juicy Scoop is the pop culture news you want to hear. No BS, no filter, no filler. Raw, real, and in the moment. Throw in the hilarity of amazing comedians that you'll instantly be obsessed with, a juicy crime story, and a dash of normal life in L.A. moments, and you've got yourself an amazing week of Juicy Scoop. Two episodes every week, every Tuesday and Thursday. It will never let you down. Jody shared it to Facebook and Twitter and then forgot all about it. When she opened her email the next day, she had more than 200 messages waiting for her. Just like that, one million lovely letters was born. I kind of felt like I just welcomed, like all of these people into my darkness and it made it mm. light. Like when you shine a light on monsters, yeah. they don't seem so big, no, right? No, they don't, know. So that's what had happened. I felt like I had a purpose. Obviously, I had purposes, but I couldn't see them. Yes. I, could, I needed this. This is what I needed. And so I started writing the letters. I did them from my bed for months. My mum would take them to the letterbox. Um, she'd come in, get my oh, pile wow. and take them on. And that's what happened. That's how it started. Jody had turned her lowest moment into an opportunity to serve others. She'd bravely shared her story with the world and found a community of people who needed to hear her voice. What were the kind of things that people were, like, sharing with you? People were sharing everything. Like, I've seen the most beautiful and terrifying points of humanity in my, um, in my inbox. And because it was almost anonymous, once they've written that and pressed send, that's gone. Um, and they told me everything. Like every email I open is a life story. And it came from everywhere. Like it wasn't just the UK. That's the fun of social media, isn't it? Wow. Like it gets shared and then another country will share it and then another country. And in my inbox, it would show when a certain country had become aware of it mm. because I'd just get loads all from Singapore or loads come from India. And it was it's an incredible thing to watch when it happens. I would like a lovely letter sent to my father-in-law. He's 72 and on his own after he lost his wife a couple of years ago. He's all alone in quarantine as he is a very vulnerable person and we see him once a week to drop off groceries and call him as much as possible, but we can definitely tell he's getting lonely and depressed. We're all worried about him, but he's one of those types that never says when something's wrong and he doesn't want to be a bother, but we care about him and want him to know how special and loved he is. If you could please send him a lovely letter, I really think it would cheer him up and make him feel special, even if it's just for a moment. What are some of the, like, the common f reasons why people do get in touch? Is there one particular reason why they get in touch or is, is it just simply they just want a, a virtual hug um, in writing? A very, um, a very common thing that comes from all over the world is loneliness. Mm. And I think because you don't actually, you don't have to be on your own to be alone like you can be sitting in the yeah. like a crowded room and you're completely on your own yeah. and that comes across a lot especially now during the pandemic but way before that it's always been in my inbox we have these such instant lives like we can be in contact with everybody but are we ever truly seen does somebody ever sit with you and mm. like look you in the eye and be like are you all right yeah. like what's going like what's going on and um, even with our friends and stuff everything's so like fast-paced Actually getting that moment to be seen and heard and felt felt really loved. Um, I think some people don't get that. I mean when, when I was when I was a child I used to get I used to go through some kind of some traumatic stuff in the house, you know, my mum, my stepdad and stuff like that. And I remember feeling really lonely in the room where you literally all you want. Somebody said to me the other day, 
if you could go back and see your angry nine-year-old self in the room crying because, you know I mean, somebody said something nasty and that, what would you do? And I said, I'd probably just hug him. Yeah. You know That's what I mean? I just, you know, it's like, when I, when I think about that, I think about when you talk about loneliness and you talk about earlier on about you know, how you were bullied in school. So you, you, you obviously have got a lot of experience of being alone yourself. So did you use that as part of your, you, you had to dig into that? Yeah, completely. I, I get it. I can get it even now. Like, can you? Yeah, of course. Um, I can get it even now where I just very suddenly feel extremely alone. And obviously it's from past traumas yeah. like but suddenly just feel it's very easy to tap into maybe that's the reason why i can like empathize with people because stuff's happened i've mm. had some stuff that's happened yeah i think once you've been into the the deepest depths mm -hmm. you can kind of help people along a little bit mm. how does it feel to for people to 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 be trusting you with their with with their their stories and their fears. When I first started, um, I think I took everything on. I was like, oh, I need to fix everybody. I need mm. to fix everything. But that's not what people are asking for. They're asking for they're asking for a hug. They're yeah. asking to be seen. Um, they're asking for you just in that moment to make them feel like make them know, like remind them of what they already know somewhere. Mm. But the darkness is kind of hiding. And the words came naturally. The more people trusted her with their stories the easier it became to speak loving words over them. I just see, like, see people, like, when I see people, um, <laughs> different to the Sixth Sense book, real people, um, when people wrote to me, I just, I just knew what to say because it's nothing special what I'm mm. doing. It's not like an incredible skill that I've had to research. It's just human kindness, and that's, that's what people need. And because every story is different, obviously some of the letters I write back have this, a similar grain running mm. through them. But every letter is different because every person writes such a different email. So none can be the same. Mm. And it doesn't feel like a pressure. Right. It's like an escape. It's a world that I can go into and it's it still helps me now when everything feels, feels adrift, my letters anchor me. You know what I'm going to do? We're going to head into a little a clip, Ellie. Do you know? You I, I only know because um, she messaged me on Instagram, so yeah. I'm looking forward to it and I, pretty sure I might get upset. So we'll see. <laughs> okay, we'll see how it okay. happens. Let's hear from Ellie. So the letter that I applied for was for my mum. Um, she is the rock of our family. She keeps us all together. Um, and she was having quite a difficult time at the, at the time that I applied. My brother had been unwell and she's the one that always keeps us together so I wanted something for her that was you know really special but hearing the words from somebody else to let her know how important she is um, and what an incredible job she does. So this is the letter that Jodie wrote for my mum. Your lovely Ellie thinks that sometimes you do too much and are pushing yourself too hard. So you must ease up for both yourself and for her. It sounds as if you've done an amazing job of bringing her up and I'm sure that she's a wonderful person and she is because of you. She says that you've encouraged and inspired her and you must be very proud. What greater reward is there than having a loving, caring, beautiful daughter like your precious Ellie? None. Well done for all of that. So receiving the letter was really quite pivotal. Um, me and my mum have always had an incredible relationship. She is my favourite human in the whole world. Um, but I think because the letter came so out of the blue, she didn't know she was receiving one. I never told her about the project um, until afterwards. 
when she received it, it was it was a really pivotal moment and it gave her that chance to reflect, to think. We both had a cry <laughs> um, and it was it was really special to receive. So listening to, have you heard that before? No. So listening to that, so she's reaching out to you for you to write to somebody to give them the, the, the hug. How does that make you feel sick? Because remember, we, we've got to go back to that. We've got to go to that bed where you're feeling, you, you literally can't, you can't walk. You're just barely able to write. And you've found it in yourself to say, I'm just going to put this this SOS call out. I felt like purpose. Like, oh, okay. This is why I've got, this is why I've got to carry on because I've got to do this. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. then the next day and the next day. Just listening to them speak there, man. <laughs> No, don't cry on me now. I won't cry. I I can't hug you. I know. I know. It really, you know, listening. I I just love, I love the fact that someone else wants you to write a letter to their loved ones because as much as they love their their loved ones, they believe that the way you write and what you will say is far more powerful. Do, Do you understand how powerful that is? It's a cool thing to be able to do. It is. It's a really nice thing. I must have been 17 and there was a footballer in Italy. He was like uh, he was like a phenomenon. His name was Gianluca Viali. And for some reason, I just felt compelled to write him. I, you know what I mean? I, I felt like I had to write him just to express um, how good he was. And, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm somebody who's trying to be a footballer. It's not quite worked out for me, but you're... You're somebody that I look up to. He's the same age. We've gone on to be mates. I know him now as a friend. Mm. And um, I wrote a letter to him, Jolie. And honestly, when he, he wrote one back, and one of the biggest regrets I think in my whole life is that now we are friends. Um, you know, I would love to have been able to show him the letter. It yeah. is, especially at that time of my life, I needed, I needed that. I needed that lift. It's literally... In respects of writing, that's the only letter I wrote to somebody. I wanted to tell you that because I wanted to know from you, did you get any kind of letters that made you feel like, oh my gosh? In my old house, Mm -hmm. um, because as I mentioned, I still have extremely dark times. Um, (laughs) In my um, house, um, I had an office and from floor to ceiling, there were thank yous Mm -hmm. from all over the place. Um, There was drawings from people's children and things um, just to remind me like why it happens and these were like thank yous and stories of what's happened after the letter Mm. and what they've done with that letter and like some have got it framed in their house or carry it with them in their purse all the time and it was just like um, just a reminder that even on my days when I feel like I don't matter at all that I've actually got a a reason you know we've um, we're now in the um, in the pandemic what 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 do you make of it? Are you getting letters in and around now? And yeah. what's going on? And how, how how are people feeling right now? I'm getting loads. But when I um, first, when the pandemic first started, we mm. all went into big lockdown. What I started on Instagram was um, each week, I'd get people to send me like a key worker or somebody that was particularly struggling right. in the pandemic. And I'd go on Instagram and almost do group work. I'd say, let's all write a letter to this person. Mm. So I'd give their name and what they were doing. And then um, when people had written their letter with their families Uh and like their kids, because all the kids were off school, um, the kids and them had got all together and written some letters. They'd send them to me 
and then I'd send a big pack of letters wow. to this one person. Um, and it was just a way of getting people together because people just wanted a bit of humanity. Yeah. And that was their way of helping. Nobody knew how to help the nurses and the doctors and stuff because we were all we were all locked in. Nobody yeah. knew what to do. This way they could send letters to them. And it was just and we I sent letters to people's nannies and their granddads mm. who were in isolation. And it was just a really nice thing. People just wanted to be involved. And it's just people what they just want to be reminded of like we're, we're all going through it and you just have to find the positivity and see I'm look at me trying to feel like I could let me see if I could write a letter to somebody a total stranger in this time I'm trying to think what would I focus on that- do, do you know what I think a lot of it was I think a lot of people are focusing on positivity but also allowing the people people are spaced to find it really difficult and to tell them how valid their feelings are like oh, you're finding it difficult and Mm. you're feeling panicked. That's completely fine. Fine. It's a very scary time. We're Mm. all going through this like group trauma. Like it's one one time, like since the war that we weren't really around, we weren't around for where all of us are in the same boat and actually uh, reminding them that what they're feeling in their stance, however they're coping with it, if they're not getting out of bed some days, that's okay. Like it's all right. Mm -hmm. But if you are going like, getting on with it and doing really well. Awesome, but however you're dealing with it, Mm -hmm. well done. (laughs) So, Jode, what is next for one million letters? Two million letters? Five million million letters? letters. I'm just going to keep writing them and Mm. see what happens next because... um, you put good out into the world good comes mm. so that's what i'm just keep doing just keep writing i'm going to be writing until i'm old and gray and the arthritis kicks in hey. people will never not need kindness it's a it's a very nice trade to be in jody and bickley i love your work <laughs> thanks god bless you and your pink hair and my pink hair <laughs> unbelievable thank you thanks jody If you've been affected by any of the themes from today's episode, head to our show notes for details on how you can access help and support. Next time on Everyday People, the teacher who turned stigma into triumph. I think that has to be like my proudest ever moment. Just a few years ago, someone told me that I should consider a different career. And a few years later, I'm here picking up an award. If you like what you've heard so far and think you've got an amazing story to tell, I'd love to hear from you. Get in touch at everydaypeople at somethingelse.com. That's everydaypeople at somethingelse.com without the G. Everyday People is a Something Else production hosted by me, Ian Wright, produced by Jade Scott. Our assistant producer is Grace Laker. Our executive producers are Ollie Wilson and Chris Skinner. Sound and mix engineer is Josh Gibbs. With thanks to Paul Smith, Joe Sykes, and Steve Ackerman. <laughs>